you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd overdrive. I will always survive. But I know they were still working to revive. And you know, this is the thing. Nothing is ever really dead. Just people. Just Shows <laughs> can always be saved. People. Value, values. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord, what a way to roll in. Hi, this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> And we are doing one of those multiple times, uh, multiple times and space. We are shifting. Like we are a TARDIS right now on this podcast because across from me, making this all make sense, he clearly knows how to run the TARDIS. Fifteen minutes in the future, it's Rick Brett Snyder. You want to just change your name to Rick Headroom? Uh, I tried. Uh, Debbie wouldn't let that. She didn't want to be. No, Deb you, you get the cease and desist letters, and yeah. Mm, I don't know who owns him anymore, but anyway, we are we are. This is our first post Comic Con podcast, and today it is brought to you by WorldCon, uh, which is coming up. In, I feel like I'm rolling from con to con, and I'm excited about every single one of them. So let's just yell con, and I believe we have an ad from cool. WorldCon. We do. Here we go. WorldCon is returning to San Jose, California. What is WorldCon? The 76th World Science Fiction Convention is the World's Fair of Science Fiction. Writers, readers, and fans from around the globe will converge on the San Francisco Bay Area this August to mingle, read, write, play, geek out, and celebrate all aspects of science fiction, fantasy, gaming, costuming, and more. The highlight of the weekend will be the presentation of the Hugo Awards on Sunday evening. For more information, visit worldcon76.org to join the thousands of attending members in San Jose from August 16th to the 20th, 2018. You can get the latest from Worldcon76 on Twitter at Worldcon2018 and on Facebook at Worldcon76. We'll be there, and I'm really looking forward to it. And, of course, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, I don't know what have you. Your the pickle podcatcher, the pickle podcast is p- podcast pickle. Sure, you know because of course this podcast is produced by Pickle Rick, and uh, your favorite podcatcher. Please, of course, you know let them know if your favorite podcatcher doesn't have us. Please let them know that you'd like them to carry Fanboy Planet, and as well, uh, you know certainly tell your friends. Also, if there's anything we talk about on today's podcast, and there may very well be that you would like to have for your very own and you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, please use the handy-dandy Amazon link that is on each and every page, including, by the way, and I want to say, uh, <clears throat> uh, this book written by your podcast host, 
I was Flesh Gordon. We sold out at Comic Con. Oh, good. And so it is, uh, you know, available on Amazon. They have a few copies left. I'm sure they're getting more. But I would love it if people go in there. And of course, you know, I, I'd love to hear from you if you uh, the, how you feel about the book once you've uh, once you've read it. Rate so, it on Amazon. I guess. Yes. Yeah. See, I don't even understand how they get. Somebody told me. Uh, I think Steve Mix said, you know, you should be on Goodreads too. And I'm like, I. Don't even understand that. Oh, Goodreads is easy. I have a I have a former student who actually works for Goodreads, and I still, you know, I, I need to be better about that. Anyway, let's get back to the the shameless shilling for people other than me. Although I guess it does go back to me is of course that you can go to Think Geek. You may have noticed, by the way, at Comic Con this past weekend, I did they released a special Comic Con or, or a convention version of the fabulous bag of holding, as well as some really cool products, including speaking of Pickle Rick, the Pickle Rick Mummy Sleeping Bag for $25. That's pretty... I've had to buy a couple sleeping bags since my son's been camping, and $25 is not a bad price. I just don't know if I would want to take it out into nature. You know, it, be, it, it's, it may not be uh, your size. It, it may not. Nothing <laughs> is. That's why I had to buy a bigger one. Okay, thanks. Thanks for pushing on that. You know, uh, But anyway, there is a new bag of holding, which is a smaller than the previous bag of holding I had. But it was really great to have around for Comic-Con. And at least one article updated from Comic-Con was done on the iPad contained within the bag of holding. So I was able to actually sit in line for something and type and you know Very good. get my hands free. It was really cool. So... Uh, by the, all means, go to the Think Geek ad on the site. We are affiliated, but I'm not saying that just because we're affiliated. I'm saying it because I caught a new product this weekend, and I loved it. So I just – and there were plenty more things. I'm still eyeing that Star Trek rock. Did you see that one? I did. You, you take the old school phaser and warm it up, yeah. which I was like, why? Um, but but then it looked cool, and it started, starts to seem cooler and cooler to me in memory. And there's a whole big line of Fallout stuff coming, which is, it's not my thing, but my son is obsessed with Fallout. So I know there's a bunch of really cool looking products coming there. So there's a the great, there's a great get, board game too for Fallout. And which I think they have as well. So yeah. there you go. And of course, if you'd just like to help defray the cost of a podcast, I swear to heaven, it is not sending us to conventions. It is just the cost of the pay ca- uh, of the podcast and hosting the site. You can always donate to PayPal at editor at fanboyplanet.com as well. If you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, I welcome it all right in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can also follow us on our Fanboy Planet Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter at Fanboy Planet and Occasionally, randomly different photos show up on Instagram at Fanboy Planet. So I'd love to hear from you. And if you write in, we often read it on the podcast. So, you know, there's that. I don't know. Is that a selling point or not? Do people prefer their anonymity? I I don't know. But uh, we do have uh, some. Let's get to the actual podcast, shall we? uh, I said it's post-Comic-Con. We... I got a whole bunch of interviews and some great conversations, but today I think we're going to focus on two. And the first one is that uh, from thank courtesy of Titan Comics, I got a chance to sit down with Max Allen Collins. Now, how many weeks ago was this? I know that you and I were both eager to recommend in What's in the Bag, uh, Mickey Spillane's Mike Mike Hammer, The Night I Died. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Max Allen Collins is the uh, already in his own right a very well respected crime writer and graphic novelist, uh, graphic novel writer, 
who then, because of his friendship with Mickey Spillane, is basically the caretaker of all the unused uh, outlines and notes that Mike, uh, Mickey Spillane had had in his files when he passed away. So he's been the keeper of the Mike Hammer flame and, and Mickey Spillane flame in general. Uh, we, I got a chance to sit down with him at Comic-Con, and it was a fantastic, fantastic conversation. So, gee, did I oversell that? I don't know. I, I just felt really good about it. And, and so, please, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Max Allen Collins. Good. And at Comic-Con with, you know, I think, a giant in the industry, Max Allen Collins, who uh, you've written Dick Tracy, you were writing comics back in. Some people may remember The Road to Perdition. I hope they do. I hope so, too. Great, you know, great graphic novel and, and pretty good movie. You know? Fantastic movie. Yeah, they did a great job. Some of those cast members went on to do something, you know, big. That's you know, I have to tell you that that sounded like a, uh, that whole experience sounded like an elaborate practical joke. Because I, it started with my angel calling me and saying, who's, who's, who's the biggest star in Hollywood right now? And I said, I don't know, Bruce Willis? This dates it right there. And he said, how about Tom Hanks? He's going he's gonna to star in a movie based on, on, on your graphic novel, Words of Perdition. I'm like, yeah, really? Because you, you know, anybody who's been at this a while has these things flare up. Yeah. But they, they also fizzle out. And so I'm like, fine. And then the next day the phone call is, and, we've got, and they've got Paul Newman. And then every day the, there'd be a phone call like that. It would be, okay, we have Sam Mendes, who had just won the, for American oh, Beauty. Right, right. And then, it's, uh, then, then we go and it's like, uh, okay, we've got the, you know, we, we've got uh, uh, the, the, the very famous cinematographer. Uh, oh, I can't even think of his name now. He won Academy Award for it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Conrad Hall. Yeah. Conrad Hall, who won the, won the Academy Award for that. Anyway, every day it was some crazy, impossible thing. And we were really kind of accidentally blessed because there was a actor strike in the offing. And a right, I think a writer's strike, too. And they had to, they had to move fast. Yeah. You know, Hollywood doesn't generally right. move super fast. And so all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're on the set and... You know, getting a picture taken with Tom Hanks and all this kind of stuff. And well, uh, there was also a little guy. Maybe I think he went with uh, Daniel Craig. Daniel and Craig. He he was the bad guy in my mo- in my movie. Yeah. So. <laughs> so and he was a sweetheart too. Uh, they sure. you know they they were all just. It, it sounds trite, but they all were just incredibly nice, accessible people. Except now, Paul Newman was very nice, but I was. He was the only one I was intimidated by because, you know, it was Paul Newman standing there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when you had those blue eyes looking at you, it was like, uh, wow. But anyway, that was, that was a big, big deal for me. And, you know, I think every writer dreams of having something that uh, he or she can put on the cover that says, by the author of, and everybody knows what that thing is. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, you mentioned Dick Tracy. For a long time, I was known as the second guy on Dick Tracy. Which is better than not being any guy at all. But I didn't exactly create Dick Tracy. So when you you want something that that is yours, and that that's been a blessing, and I feel very lucky to 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 have been singled out. Because Hollywood, it, you know, you just don't know when they're going to say, "I pick you." No, I don't pick you. We don't want you. Oh, we'll have you. And that's what it feels like. Yeah. 
Well, let's get to you know now the real reason. Yes, we're the here real reason we're the, here is the virtue of Titan, different comics, of Titan publishing, different comics, which and, I love. And you say and no, so you uh, have which uh, now I have just gotten, and it does say from the author of Road to Perdition, yeah, we we Warry's War, the graphic novel from the hard case crime line that uh, that Titan Books is right. doing, and you are adapting. It was an unproduced screenplay. For Mike Hammer by Mickey Spillane? Yes, it, it has a kind of a convoluted history, uh, which I'll, I'll try to unconvolute a little bit. But it, it began as a radio show that he wrote, and that was not ever produced. And then it began as a script for a TV show that was like a, for an hour TV show. And then with his permission, uh, years later, because that was in the early 50s, years later, uh, I took it and created a screenplay. And so this is really based on the screenplay that I did with under Mickey's supervision that was based on this material that he had done in the early 50s. So it's, it's, it's a little complicated, but the thing is, uh, everything I've done with, with Mickey Spillane material, at my camera material, has had real, genuine Mickey Spillane DNA in its, you know, in its makeup. I've, I've not done any wholesale creation. I've not done my, my camera. I'm really trying to complete and explore the, the things that he did not finish or that were, as in this case, things that were done for television and movies that got just put in the drawer when the, when the, when the project didn't happen. So, you know, let's talk about the evolution of that. So I had not realized you had written the screenplay. You worked directly with Mickey Spillane in his later years. Being naive about it, I just sort of assumed a publisher picked you because you had a, the possibility of having a voice similar to his. But you you were blessed by him. Yeah, we were friends. Uh, he was a mentor to me, uh, and uh, he... It, it, it's probably too long a story to tell, but I, I, I'll give you, again, I'll unconvolute it just a little bit. But <laughs> but I grew up uh, reading him uh, as an adolescent, as a young teenager. Uh, I had discovered Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler and the great what are now called noir, noir writers, who I called hard-boiled writers. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Spillane was the one that just set my young hair on fire. I just thought he was fantastic. And I started writing him fan letters. And I never got a response, as was often the case. But you keep writing. If you're a fan, you keep writing, don't mm-hmm. you? So the uh, the letters flowed for many, many years. And then finally in the early 70s, I published a couple of books. And the um, I s- sent them to him, probably via his publisher. And at that point, he wrote me a lovely letter Welcoming me to uh, the world of professional writing. You're you're in the club. You're in the, mm. you know, you're you're in you're in the uh, you're in the army of of the uh, the blue collar writers. And then I continued to write him now and then and send him the books as they came out. And also along this time, I was doing articles about him and often defending him because he was very controversial for you and still is to some degree controversial. No, I remember that, yeah. Uh, he was, in fact, uh, the comic book people will get a kick out of this, In Seduction of the Innocent by Dr. Frederick Wortham, mm-hmm. where the ECs were attacked and all the Phantom Lady and everything you could think of was attacked. There was one prose writer attacked, Mickey Spillane. Mickey Spillane got taken on by the same... You know, he, he never had to put a comics code symbol on the front of his his books, 
but so so he and he was a comic book writer uh, as a young man. Mm-hmm. So he so uh, so I think that comic book spirit was probably in the Mike Hammer material, which may be one of the reasons why I uh, identified with it so much. But anyway, in the early '80s, I was uh, approached by a convention called BoucherCon. Uh, which is the big mystery writers, mystery mm-hmm. fan convention. It's held in different places around the, around the country and around the world every year. And they were in Milwaukee. And Mickey at the time was doing this very famous series of Miller Lite commercials. I remember those. Yeah, yeah. tastes great, you know, yeah. uh, less filling. And so uh, Mickey became one of the special guests, like one of the guests of honor that year. And they contacted me, the folks with the convention, and said uh, – you're the Mickey Splane guy. Everybody knows you're the Mickey Splane guy. Will you be the liaison between the convention and, and Mickey? And, of course, I was actually somewhat – I said yes automatically, obviously. But, boy, I had a sleepless night the night before because it's dangerous meeting your heroes. Uh, human beings tend to have feet of clay. And I thought – and I had a lot invested in this guy. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of scared. So uh, the the con folks take me up to his hotel room and knock on the door and there you know there he is large than life, and uh, the, the the gentleman, ish, you know, taking me around said, "Oh, Mickey, this is this is Max Collins." And he said, "Oh, I know Max. We've been corresponding for years." <laughs> and I said, "That's right, Mickey. A hundred letters from me, one letter from you," <laughs> and we were we were just bosom buddies immediately. And within a month, I was down. In his, at his home in South Carolina, and I would visit him from time to time. And over the years, uh, some of it was a personal relationship. He he was my son Nathan's godfather, oh, wow. and then uh, but we did a number of projects together, about a dozen anthologies in the early '90s. We did a comic book together called Mike Danger, that was kind of a science fiction version of Mike Hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I did a documentary about him, which he cooperated on, and uh, it was called Mike Hammer's Mickey Spillane. Because we reversed the right, Mickey right. Spillane's my camera. Uh, and so uh, we had a wonderful relationship. It, it was always crazy when the phone would ring and it would be Mickey Spillane. I was just like, that can't be. And I never got over it. I never got over it. But but we, it was a warm relationship. He and my son just had a wonderful relationship. So, uh, But Mickey, right toward the end of his life, got uh, uh, pancreatic cancer. And he called me. And said that uh, he was working on a mic hammer called the Goliath Bone, uh, which, by the way, Titan's going to be bringing out uh, in a while. Okay. And and uh, in re- in a beautiful mass market paperback. Got to get a plug in. No, even, absolutely. Even in Please. the middle of a sad no, no, story. As many as we can. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. Yeah. So at any rate, we uh, uh, the he said to me, "Can you? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get to finish this. It's like I'm I'm." I'm deep into it but should i not be able to would you you know would you complete this for me and we had never really collaborated in that way and i said i i hope i don't have to but you know i will and then shortly after that he told his wife jane said we have a um said when i'm gone there'll be a treasure hunt around here he had three offices and he had stories going in all the offices take everything you find and give it to max he'll know what to do and so we now have done something like a dozen, finished a dozen novels that he began. Uh, now we got Mike Hammer back in the comics, which is, he was originally conceived for the comic books. Mm-hmm. 
And it was when the, when the comic book companies weren't interested that he decided to make him into a novel. And he wrote I, the Jury, which remains one of the most famous tough detective novels yeah. of all time. So let me wrap it up with the plug for Titan. Why were they the publisher for you? I think that, well, first of all, they had a real interest in, in Mickey Spillane and Mike Hammer. And they were very, uh, Nick, uh, the, the publisher, really wanted to do these Mike Hammer books. And they've done a fantastic job on them. And so Titan obviously has, has, has a major hand in comics. And I, I think as a publisher, what they do with popular culture is just second to none. Just absolutely second to none. And so, uh, eventually we, we, as we had this centenary of Mickey Spillane, and that's what we're doing, the hundredth, his hundredth birthday, I, I was approached about, well, we really would like to do a graphic novel. Uh, and I hadn't done a graphic novel in a while. And of course, Road to Perdition is a graphic novel and mm-hmm. the most famous thing I've done. So, so we did, uh, I said, well, we do have, the screenplay material, which would be a good starting point, and it's, uh, I think it's turned out extremely well. So you'll do more? Well, we'll see. It. That's really up to is it, the people listening to this podcast, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it is. Well, thank you for sitting down with Sir, me thank you very, very right much. You. Thank you. Now that he's edited it in, I hope that Rick enjoyed that conversation as well, because you probably had to listen to it about five, six times. So anyway. <laughs> well, it was one of the one of the few things that you – posted from uh comic-con that i was truly envious of you for that uh yeah that was spillane hammer and uh all the titan stuff hits for me yeah 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 uh, and one of the few things i posted you're envious of okay i think that'll be a theme in this podcast what else did i do that rick was envious of we shall see uh <laughs> this one i was envious of you a few months ago you went to uh, scum and villainy scum cantina and, villainy. and you ran into rod roddenberry gene roddenberry's son and uh so we talked for the, two hours about star trek yes i didn't <laughs> i didn't do this as a as an envy thing but it was an offer to i've spoken to trevor roth and we ran that on uh the podcast a couple of years ago we spoke to trevor roth from roddenberry entertainment and uh, this year, I was offered both a chance to sit down with Trevor and Rod Roddenberry as well, because they were releasing a short film online called Instant, a little sci-fi piece that is in the tradition of Gene Roddenberry. You know, it's far more about the ideas, the human connection, and kind of sort of a theme for me this weekend after going through the through the Good Place installation at Comic Con. You know, what we owe to each other, what we should be to each other. And so it was a real pleasure and an honor to get to sit down with Rod Roddenberry and Trevor Roth. So here you go. We are at Comic Con with Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry talking about the new short film Instant. Well I I shouldn't say I looked at the copyright the the new part is it was made in 2014 it was made in 2015 okay um or you know finished then um and it's been quite some time kind of figuring out how we wanted to deliver to the world um and at the end of the day uh really it was just about getting it out there you know this is a passion project for us we wanted to share it with as many people as possible and get it out um to uh, all the people who hopefully will enjoy it and uh, now you can find it on our um, uh, YouTube channel you can go to roddenberry.com uh, anywhere you'd like because we're really just about uh, you know having people watch it and, and see it and enjoy it 
Oh, good. That's really good to know because then I'll run that with this uh, podcast. Feel free <laughs> to make sure because uh, you know I, I had it on video. So, um, how did that project come about? I mean, we talked about a VR a, a couple of years ago, yes. and it was really an interesting thing. And I can't. I'm blanking on the title. Yeah, White Room O Two B Three was our, our 360 degree film mm-hmm. um, that we did, and it was um, you know a really cool experience in that case in, in, into um, you know a really piece, uh, interesting piece of technology and how to kind of tell stories with it. Um, in this case, I would say that um, you know the kernel of it came from the story and the characters and the journey itself, which I'll let Rod tell you about. But um, we sort of found, to be honest, um, from a, a very talented writer and a group of producers that uh, were really passionate about it, and um, you know ended up really realizing that we wanted to get involved. Yeah, no. I, it, uh, generally, in the industry, when you you don't read unsolicited scripts, but this came from a friend, and he really. Said I, I, he thought I would really enjoy it, and uh, not not to give too much away. It's really hard to do an interview about this because I understand. There, there, there's, there's <laughs> You'll enough, understand too soon. Yeah, yeah. you'll get it. Yeah, because it's not that we want to keep things away from the listeners, but if you if you say just a little too much, they can figure it out. So I, I would ask the listeners not to try to figure it out. Right. So let me put it this way: I, I have a question later, and we'll just bring it right up. Sure. Is it, it almost goes to the mission statement? It reminded me very much of the kind of project I think your father would have pursued. And it's a science fiction piece. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a not, not apparent. Yeah, not apparent, apparent. Yeah. But it yeah. is a science fiction piece and but it is a science fiction piece about ideas and emotions mm-hmm. and human con- mm-hmm. connection. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's actually very well said. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um so it was brought to my attention. Uh, I, I gave the script a read, and I, I just I, I, I got teary eyed, and it, it did. It, it nailed me. It, it really resonated, um, and so uh, I ended up uh, showing it to Trevor, and Trevor agreed as well. And so uh, we met the the team of guys um, who were behind it. They they had been working on this for a while. Um, they were they were different guys from different aspects of the industry, and they'd come together because they they read the script. Uh, and they met the writer, and they all felt passionate about it. Um, there's no money in short films. Uh, these guys had day jobs and, and, and plenty mm-hmm. of other experience, but this is something they were just passionate about, and I became passionate about it as well. And and it was pretty much, uh, I don't want to say turnkey, but the, the script was solid. The, the team was solid. There was virtually no ego. Um, people just wanted to see it made. And, and I felt the same way. Trevor felt the same way. So, so we got together with them, and, and we, we were the, kind of the last piece to the puzzle and, and helped get it produced. Hey, and to my question really about, the, about kind of the mission statement of what, of what you're doing, you are the keeper of the legacy mm-hmm. of uh, your father's intellectual property and concepts and probably still some unproduced things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But more to it. Like, so I guess get to it. What is it that attracts you to a, to a project? And... And what is the goal of Roddenberry? Well, let me just quickly, that, that, that differs quite a bit because um, I am attracted to different kinds of projects. And, and some I wouldn't necessarily put under the Roddenberry banner, um, not because they're not good, but you know, Roddenberry is sort of this idea about a better future, a better humanity, a better species, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Um, but uh, just recently I worked on a, on a Deadpool project uh, that... that I, I was infinite the, deaths and, infinite <laughs> and and again it wasn't it wasn't under the Roddenberry banner it was under the Rod banner just because I, I had seen the first one I met the producer again the passion the talent the dedication um, I, I was just inspired by that and said you know what I would be proud to be a part of this so I, I helped out on a it's the uh, Deadpool musical parody too. Um, uh, I haven't watched that one yet. Yeah. I watched the first one, so it's awesome. I, <laughs> they did a great job. Anyhow, yeah. Then well, there are other projects that really are more in the Roddenberry domain, and, and it's really just 
relationships, better humanity, appreciation for different ideas? I think that, you know, hopefully we bring what is a unique or at least a subset of, of genre entertainment to the table. Um, and I think that what we're passionate about, you know, a lot of it came from Gene. A lot of it came from Star Trek and sort of understanding what that meant to him and, and means to us and hopefully to the world today. Um, and I think that has to do with human connection. I think it has to do with human themes and the experience. I think it has to do with an optimistic outlook on things, um, but still understanding that there are struggles and challenges that we go through and understanding why we go through them and the ways we get through them and, and the perspectives we bring to them. Um, all of those things sort of wrapped up in a very, you know, very nonfiction, I'm sorry, very fiction, uh, nonfiction way, very human way, um, which, you know, Instance is a perfect example of, you know, um, you know, when you come to this scenario, this story, you're going to find, you know, five people in a bar, a bar that you could be in, you know what I mean? And certain circumstances occurring then that um, throw their lives into chaos and eventually an understanding that you hopefully never would have expected to be occurring. And all of that takes place, but in a way that you can relate to that's very terrestrial, it's very, um, uh, you know, common day life. Um, and I think from that perspective, that's really at the core of anything we do, whether we're going off to far off galaxies or whether we're staying right here on Earth. Um, the key is connecting to that experience, the human condition, and understanding the varieties of aspects of, of that. And I think that's what we get excited about. And I think what resonates with its release right now is uh, there's a line, which I will garble horribly, uh, in the in the short uh, about how you know we're going to make it, but these are tough times. Yeah. These are really difficult times. So uh, just like getting out in space, it doesn't even look like we're going to. You know, there are days you feel like we're not even going to get off this planet. We're, you know, so right. how, yeah. did, how how let me phrase this correctly. I mean. We need that message more than ever. How much weight does that carry for you or on your shoulders? An incredible amount. <laughs> An incredible amount. And, and it's, it's, uh, you said it right. It's, it's the weight that I put on my shoulders. I choose to, to let things uh, affect me. Um, I, I do think we need a Star Trek, uh, a positive message now more than ever. We need to keep the message out there that different is good. Again, I was saying infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Idic, the backbone philosophy of Star Trek. Um, we're, we're a very polarized society right now, and, and, and I, I, clearly we have a lot to learn. Uh, we, we have a lot of growing to do, and, and the message needs to get out there that, that because it's different, it's not bad. In fact, the Star Trek messages, they're not out there looking for weird-looking aliens. They're looking for new ideas, We've gotten to a point in our evolution in Star Trek where, where we thirst, we crave for people who look at the universe in a different way because we've come together and we've, we've realized that it's the uniqueness between us that makes us so special. Do you still have any input or, or contact with the team like doing Star Trek Discovery right now? Yeah, we, 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 we contribute to the series, yeah. Because it's amazing. Uh, and I, I was very cynical about yeah. it, honestly. Yeah. And then suddenly Love That and it's nominated for Hugo, which to giving out, giving out in a month. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that's really nice to hear that, yeah. you're, that you still have a hand in it. We're, we're, we're one of the pieces to the yeah. puzzle. Yeah, great. great. Well, yeah. Let's talk about technology, your distribution. So, yeah. especially you said, like, what's the audience for short film? Which drives me nuts because yeah. I, I go to film festivals. I go, I go to the shorts program, love stuff, and go. 
who's going to see this? How are they yeah. going yeah. to? And the warning I got was, don't say anything until it's released on social media after uh, through our social media challenges. So, uh, channels, not challenges. I mean, it's probably our challenges, <laughs> too. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, do you see that as part of the mission is to drive new technologies? We yeah, I mean, I, you know, last time we talked, that. we were talking about a 360-degree film. Uh, you know, this time we're talking and we're talking about a short film that's being released on a YouTube channel um, and able to be gotten through social media. And that's, you know, obviously our main way of telling people about it. And we hope that people will tell other people about it. So I think that technology... Um, is something that um, you know we all have to take care of. We all have to use responsibly. We all have to be sort of good citizens with, and you know understand how it works and 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 how we can use it to the betterment of getting things out there and, and telling people about stuff. Um, but I think that um, you know it is a, a representation of what can be done and the way things have changed now that we're able to sort of make this film and say, hey, we want to put this out for the, for the world to, to see and look at. You know, we're just going to use that voice. And, um, you know, to, to sort of speak to the earlier discussion of what we put on our shoulders, I mean, I think it's in some ways everybody is putting things on their shoulders where they're using these voices today and they're using technology that allows for them. And so um, in this particular case, we're using for a piece of entertainment. Other people use it for you know, their voices in regard to what's going on in the world. But altogether, I think that it allows for a lot of discussion to happen. And as long as it's respectful discussion, I think it's great. Um, right yeah, now, one of the, the challenge. yes, one of the people we're working with on another project called Rod and Barry. It's a great little um, animated series. Um, we're looking at uh, possibly, you know, looking at Facebook as a place to, to put it out. Um, which you know everybody's sort of getting into that original content. So I think the good news is there's a lot of places that things can come from now. Um, of course, the bad news and Comic Con's a great example of this is that there's also a lot of noise then. So you got to find the good things in there and uh, and hope that people will um, share those good things with others so that you know really viral and word of mouth stuff can happen still today. And I think that's what we're hoping will happen with uh, with Instant that people will enjoy it, they'll love it, they'll see what's in it, they'll want to watch it again and again and tell people, hey, you should really take a look at this. Thank you. Well, Rod, Trevor, thank you so much for sitting down. Absolutely. Looking forward to the next project. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. So let us talk a little bit about Comic-Con, which uh, this is usually the portion of the show where we talk about comics anyway, and so I think we'll just talk about some of the news things that came out of there. I think there was a little pall over one section of the floor because it was announced this weekend that though they had their usual you know, fairly large-sized booth, Bongo Comics, the company that that was co-founded by Bill Morrison uh, and publishes The Simpsons and Futurama comics and everything associated with those. Right. Um, you know, Bill has gone on. He's now the editor-in-chief of, of Mad Magazine. They're coming to an end. And in October will be the last issue of The Simpsons published by Bongo Comics, and they're shutting up shop completely, which means we'll be hearing in the next few months, I'm sure, yeah. The Simpsons are up for license to somebody. Yeah, I, so, I, I can't imagine that they're just going to say, nope, it's done. <laughs> no, apparently it sells, as a book, uh, Simpsons Comics sells really well oh, yeah. in Europe. It's not as popular in America, but... I would also suspect, you know, every time we talk about that, uh, when we say it's not selling well in America, it's because we're still looking at a narrow spectrum of what's going on in the direct market. Right. But I would bet the trade paperbacks in Barnes and Noble and on, on, on Amazon and whatever, what have you, bookstores, I'll bet they're doing really well there too. But it is, you know, they are super popular 
in uh, in Europe, but it's a, com- a publisher that's been around for 25 years. So, I mean, of course, it's always weird to me to think about that. The Simpsons is 28, 29 yeah. uh, years old. <laughs> it's like, who would have predicted that? You know, so there it is. Uh, so they're coming to an end, and you know, I say we'll we'll see what what goes on with that. You were they, about to say something. Oh, they've never had to explain why their characters don't age. Why does DC oh. and Marvel? <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. Although, you know what though, the Simpsons have often commented upon how they don't yes, age. Yes, yes. So. <laughs> be fair there it uh, was of course uh and homer uh, has now served in both world war ii korea and vietnam so you know all three yeah and uh yeah yeah <sighs> that is weird anyway uh there were i'm sure other <laughs> there were other big comics things coming out uh you know i think one of it was just the last minute and i and i i didn't write this down but gail simone is stepping in as they're not calling her editor in chief, but she's kind of going to oversee the Lion Forge line of comics of superhero okay. comics. So she's going to get to basically be the architect, the chief architect of a universe. Nice. So it was very last minute. She was on Facebook saying, "Well, I wasn't going to go to comic. It's like Tuesday. I wasn't going to com- going to go to Comic Con, but uh, I am going to now." Because there's an announcement coming, and <laughs> and that was it. And I, uh, it's a really bold step. I don't know if you've been reading any any of the Lion Forge books. David Walker, who we've had on the podcast, and really great great writer, uh, has been doing a book for them called Superb, and it's all been. I think they have four or five right now superhero titles, and it's all been connected to an event similar to me to what happened with the New Universe. Way back when with Marvel, uh, like when the pit happened, there was some kind of uh, incursion of an asteroid landed on Earth and people near it gained superpowers. And one of them is this hero named Superb who is a a teenager with Down syndrome. And it's really an interesting, interesting book as he is both navigating and trying to keep it secret because there's, of course, a shadowy government agency that is concerned Mm. and trying to round up every student every child that may have been exposed to this radiation. It's for their own good. Right. Well, you know, and he's the only person because he's been influenced by reading comic books who actually puts on a costume and fights crime basically in his city while everybody else is kind of code by this weird paramilitary organization. And it's not like they were taking over in the way say like Hydra or something, but it's still shadowy. Anyway, it's an interesting book. And I think you've got Gail Simone and David Walker and many other talented writers and artists working together on this with, with Gail kind of overseeing it's, it's a really cool fraught with possibility situation. And I think, you know, we're going to see a big step forward with Lion Forge on that. So, um, there were also a lot of trailers out of Hall H, including, I, I must say, I was just thrilled that the weird, weird thing about Comic-Con this weekend without Marvel Entertainment being there, without Marvel Studios being there, only celebrating like the special effects of 10 years, um, that you actually had a shot at getting into Hall H. And so I was able to see the Doctor Who panel, I think, for the very first time. Oh wow! Since I've been going to con, since they've been going to Comic Con and going into even Ballroom twenty days. Did because, you see? You know, oh, did you, you see? Know, the, I, yeah, go ahead. Did you see the Her Universe uh, 
fashion show? Did you, did you notice that where you saw it was because I posted it? Did I see it because you posted it? Yes, because mm. we had fairly exclusive footage okay. of her appearance in, in there. So, yes, uh, I did not attend that fashion show. Steph took that, uh, uh, okay. that footage. Uh, I was going to, but it was conflicting with too many. You know, the thing with that fashion show is that was starting at 6 o'clock, going from 6 to 8, and you had to be in line by 3.30. Sure. To get in, and so <laughs> that's a huge chunk of the day I, I couldn't I, I couldn't do. And so, unfortunately, because uh, I had an interview scheduled, I think, at 4 o'clock and so forth, and I was going through it, and I was updating things. So When I told Debbie about it, she was like, that would have been the one thing I would have gone to. You know, it's like, oh, sure, okay, <laughs> That would have been it. Okay. Well, who would have known? You know, I, I, I honestly, they do. Uh, obviously, the the purpose of the fashion show is people submit designs. I, I would, I would think that Debbie might be interested in actually doing a design or two and submitting and seeing if it could be brought to, brought to their attention. It's, yeah, we we just got this WorldCon thing going on. Yeah. I'm not saying for right now, Rick. <laughs> I know. Okay. You don't actually have a TARDIS, and you can't go back in time. They've been doing this fashion show for several years, and it's okay. been functioning the same way for several years. People submit their designs, they bring it to life, they do the fashion show, and then I think it's three winners are chosen, and then their their clothing is then sold at Hot Topic and wherever else her universe. I think her universe is moving into Disney stores now because I think Disney may have bought them out. Oh, really? Hmm. Uh, I'm not. I'm, uh, don't quote me. I think it was just a big deal. Maybe it is still a separate, but that Disney has just there's been a huge influx of licensing of Disney products, right. not just Marvel and Star Wars, through her universe. I also want to know that this year they introduced his universe within it, so that they are also doing clothes for men. Oh, for that's first. nice. That's well, nice. you know, I, I I was talking about it and I said there's sure plenty of really cool stuff for guys and always has been. Yeah. But I've always been a little envious because the her universe stuff is always the coolest. Well, so all, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's finally some something acknowledging uh you know. Well they they take elements, they don't just take logos and slap them on stuff, they take elements of properties and assemble them in new designs and new uh new ways of displaying them and stuff. Right. So, and I and yeah. I think it's inspired other companies to do things like that especially in men's clothing. I think Geek not to harp on them right you know but they they offer some really interesting stuff online for for men's clothing as well yeah. that is was a step beyond you're right when when we were young it was an iron-on patch on a t-shirt and now you've got really cool you know I picked up a say a polo shirt with a, a Terran Empire logo uh-huh. and you know even those those subtle little touches and i can't remember who else has been doing stuff stuff uh, we love fine i think was one that's also gone through so a lot of they've got a lot of knockoffs but i still think her universe for the money you spend on their clothing is the best value and really some of the coolest stuff around so yeah. what we are referencing from initially was not just the doctor who panel but that jody whitaker herself showed up as a surprise last minute model with her universe's Doctor Who, 13th Doctor clothing. But more importantly, I, so I'd lead you to that video because every time that Jodie Whittaker spoke at Comic-Con, I just felt like, and I shared this with, with Chris Thompson over at, at Titan, that you just realized how much she is the Doctor, not just 
she is the doctor, but that she's the doctor we need right now and her approach to it. And in this video, I think was the most interesting explanation of why she will be costumed the way she is and that, that how much thought had gone into it and how much influence she herself had had as to why the doctor, at least so far in the, in the trailers we've seen, the trailer we've seen, uh, has been dressed that way. And there's, you know, some very interesting philosophical points that she has to make. And so it was very inspiring, very, very inspiring. Then of course we finally got the Aquaman, Godzilla, uh, Shazam. I know I'm, I'm missing others that, (laughs) that I tried to post some. Are you just uh, talking movies or TV? I'm talking movies and TV. Yes. So TV, we got, uh, Clone Wars and, uh, Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, posted that. Yeah, that looked good. Oh yeah, uh, no, I, I think so, you know I I didn't have a problem with the first season, but I think they have decided to uh, make it more accessible to people who didn't want to see a change in the storytelling style, and so you know I think they're compromising a little bit. That's fine, you know. Uh, yeah, now that I, I once I've watched the first season, I I would agree i thought it was bold and i had somebody somebody asked me about that and i said but it's so good because that's what star trek fans always say this one is so good i said no but it really is <laughs> this, know, one's, this like, one is just from the standpoint of storytelling is challenging to the to the uh viewer and i like that i didn't i it's not like the a lot of science fiction television t- science fiction just basically spoon feed stuff to you and this one you really had to think and keep no it was a and, complicated weaving and yeah. exactly and i liked that there was really you know as close as a star trek series gets to there's really hard science in there and there's they really thought it out so you know yeah i but season 2 you're quite right there's the little fanboy bone of of uh here there'll be references to Spock and watching uh, that actor, oh, Anson Mount playing Captain Pike. I thought yeah. he's walking around. That looks like Jeffrey Hunter enough to me. Yep. And that's the closest they've ever cast. When he said, sometimes you just want to have a little fun. I was like, yeah, great. Yeah. He's so like, I, I'm interested. And I've been, I've been reading the novels, which are all prequel novels, of course, because you know, the events of season one, are so, you know, it is so tightly, uh, the continuity is so tightly wound that it has to be prequel stuff. And uh, they're fun. They're good. Yeah. And so, you know, I highly recommend that. That was a surprise. But, uh, you know, I finally got my Aquaman trailer, and I just have to say that. Uh, that's, I, okay, so he's not blonde. But, <laughs> you know, wow. I'm okay, okay with that, you yeah. know. It, it You're not going to protest because he's not blonde. No. Oh no! What was the other pro- you know the other announcement that came out about Buffy being rebooted? And I thought you know I I, I don't need a new Buffy, but I'm not going to protest that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they, and, they, and there there are fans upset because it's not um, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Well, it won't be set in the same universe. It's a new Buffy. Yeah. Completely, it's it is really a reboot and not just a continuation. Yeah. And I say that's all right again. There are seven seasons of that show that I and, love. And spinoffs. Yeah. And spinoff. well, five of Angel, right? And then how many years in the comic books? Yeah. So that you've got plenty of material. Yeah. Let them re- rethink it for a new gener, literally a new generation. You know, this was, did that debut in like 1999, 1998? Um, 
you know, so it's 2018. It has been 20 years. Let let it come again. And again, if you don't like it, that's fine. Don't watch it. Someone will. It's like the Charmed reboot. My hotel had the, I had the Charmed reboot everywhere. And pe- I had people commenting on on Instagram about hoping this gets canceled. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. It wasn't the Charmed fans the first time around. But, okay, it's just because I never watched it. And I go... I watched it probably the last three seasons and went back and watched the rest. And I'm it, sure it was it's a good I, show. It was no, a good I'm show, sure, but, I'm sure it's fine, but, you know, but it, it exists. Is my yeah, point. Yeah, yeah that but, version's there. Watch it over and over. That's. I fine. think sometimes it has to do with how old you were when you saw it the first time, and you know how much you you feel like it's your show. That kind of sure. that kind of stuff. But I don't speak, know. Speaking I've, of speaking of which, what did you think of the Titans? Uh, the the Titans, yeah, the, the Titans trailer, trailer which, I, yeah. which I have run on Family Planet as well. Um, I'm going with it because it's clearly Raven's story, and they don't show you enough of Starfire or Beast Boy, right? To really give you a sense. I'm not super excited about the F Batman, but I'm also not super upset about it. Like, look, yeah. we heard one thing that was designed. Let's also realize that when they release a trailer, especially at Comic Con. They want to be talked about. Right. So right. I would say I, for a good two days on Facebook, almost anything related to DC <laughs> that I was seeing on Facebook at Comic-Con was somebody either expressing anger about it or they were okay with it, but they were saying they were talking about it. You know, even in posts about other DC stuff, there was a reference to that Titans tra- trailer. So yeah. it did its job. Okay. Now, I did go to the DC Universe on um, Experience. And I faced whatever they were willing to show me of the Swamp Thing, and I walked through the Court of Owls, and um, and they had the costumes on display. And I didn't get really great pictures of the costumes because there's a line going right in front of it, so getting that gap was hard. There has been some controversy this week. Apparently, Anna Diop, I believe is the name of the actress who is playing Starfire, has been under fire, no pun intended. There are, there's online harassment, and again, I'm annoyed stop this people now they're saying either she's not black enough or she's too black and i'm just like you know what here's my issue with the costume now that i've seen it up close and just sit on a mannequin it doesn't look like starfire to me but and not knowing anything about what her story is going to be in the show yeah uh she looks like a street kid. It's too runaway to me. And I'll even go so far as to say, I think it looks a little bit like a prostitute. And I don't mean to be like clutching my pearls when I say that I'm not trying to be judgmental. I just think that it's gone too gritty for my taste, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to enjoy it when the show starts. If there's a decent explanation for it, I just haven't seen anything from anything that they've released ahead of time that implies that Starfire actually is an alien in this show. And so I, I, I don't know, you know, so I, I'm withholding. I, up, up close, I actually like the Beast Boy costume. I was going to say that too. I did. I, I, I thought that was fine. They don't show him transforming at all. They, they show like a flash no, or something. Or? But I I'll bet yeah. they're going to do something. It's like early. It's before. early, early footage. Pre. Well, you know, it is, and it's also, you know, it, it's sort of my DC's Legends, Legends of Tomorrow joke. You're only going to see Steel. Firestorm and Vixen actually use their powers every third episode. 
because the budget gets blown by other stuff. They save it up. So, but every thir- third episode of that show is like, this is when the cool stuff happens. And then you got a couple of episodes of exposition. So, you know, I think that's going to happen with Titans. The Beast Boy transformation is going to cost money. And I don't think Starfire's powers necessarily are going to be as expensive. They're probably going to be all done in Adobe Premiere. Yeah. So, <laughs> sure. Uh, but I thought, you know, so, so there, you saw that and the, and DC universe, uh, you know, has got a decent, uh, offering. I was, I was, I, I was suckered into Dick Grayson's, uh, townhouse or, or loft. Uh, they had a display there and it was kind of like an escape room, very simplistic. And the, the prize was opening up a secret hidden TV screen and watching the trailer, which I had already run. So I was like, this is what I waited in line for. <laughs> to see the trailer again but it was kind of fun to be like okay this is what an escape room is like okay cool and uh then did the swamp thing and they don't have much about swamp thing at all but it was kind of a cool i want to say this at comic-con almost every interactive thing I, i went through every installation uh was so well acted and that hasn't always been the case on stuff that i've done like uh, the good place was really well. Everybody working that was really in character. The one that got creepy to me, uh, you know, the swamp thing one was very much because you had your swamp guides and they were creepy. They were disturbing. So they set a good tone for that one. Um, there were, there's a Harley Quinn chaos room, the court of owls really well done and actually pretty good. I don't think I got a good shot of it, but the Talon costume was really good. The guy playing Talon, and they, you know, they just kind of weaved around you, and it was disturbing and creepy enough. Uh, and uh, they went; they had a little thing for Doom Patrol with the Chief's Lab, and it was for uh, you got popcorn, flavored popcorn at the end of it. But they made it live <laughs> in front of you with with uh, nitrogen, you know. So it's like so it's icy cold, and smoke is pouring off, steam is pouring off of it, but it's ice cold, and so it was cool, you know. And and there were clues all around the room as to things that are going to happen in the Doom Patrol show. I don't think that's far enough in development either to do much more. But the one that really creeped me out was the Purge. Did they oh, say yeah. Purge City, like Party City? Yeah. And Did they give you like you, 20 Purge bucks? I got 20 Purge bucks and I bought a, a, a hat. And I think we got a Purge candle for an emergency 12-hour lighting. Nice. Should we need one? <laughs> but how much everyone was in character, every single person that worked that asked me what my plans for the holiday were. Am I, and I said, I haven't really made up my mind. And they said, well, are you more, do you like to be more offensive or defensive? (laughs) And, you know, and, and there were plenty of products that I kind of like, I would like to have a copy of this, you know, for myself that were really just displays for jokes I guess, or, you know, verisimilitude. But overall, it was just, uh, so I've spent the last two nights, I'd never watched The Purge before, so I watched The Purge two nights ago, I watched The Purge Anarchy last night, and I'll be watching The Purge election year tonight. It did its job. I'm really interested in the show now, because how perky and smiley everyone was about the opportunity to either protect yourself from being killed or to just go out and kill without ramification. Although, most hilariously, a guy checking us in line said, like, you know, what are your plans? You know, so he was very corn-fed, as they say, you know, and he was very smiley and said, uh, 
me and some buddies last year, we went out and we ripped the tags off mattresses. <laughs> we get pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's you in, and then it's like, no, they're talking murder. So it, it was really, really cool. But again, so much to do that I, I never felt like I had downtime, but I didn't get out to the FX. And, you know, of course, I'm doing interviews, too, and running around from that perspective, but I didn't get out to the FX exhibit. I didn't get out to Adult Swim, which was very Rick and Morty oriented. Uh-huh. And uh, they had a beautiful statue of Rick. And <laughs> so, but it was weird because, like, you, the actual carnival didn't open until 4 o'clock. You could go to the gift, sh- the gift shop there uh, from, I think, that opened at 10. And, and you can get a four. And I didn't get across the other side of the bridge where then there's that parking lot. I guess it's a Lexus dealership in in real world time. And there were plenty of really cool things. I that just I was crossing the bridge at one point and looked at it and went, oh, you know, that looks cool, but I couldn't get there. And then so many installations downtown. And there was the Leica thing and the uh, there was a start in the, the little gallery not the Chuck Jones. Chuck Jones was not as big a deal this year, but the there's a gallery uh, down the street from that that was the Star Trek Discovery uh, Mirror Universe exhibit. So all the costumes and weapons from the Terran Empire were on display. And then a little gift shop in the back, of course, because everything must have. But we're at the point, you know, I just, I heard, I, I don't know if this is true, but I, I heard a, a preliminary number of 200,000 people. Wow, just Down in town, there. in town. It, it, around the gas lamp for Comic-Con, because many of these things were open to anybody. Right. So Leica was open to anybody, and I, I'm i going to say the potentially, I hope not heretical, but daring thing to say is I think it's time for Comic-Con to expand a day. When I was first going, preview was Thursday. They didn't really have a, I don't think they really had a preview night. It just opened on Thursday. I think they may have to go officially Wednesday through Sunday and go Tuesday night. Now, some of these outdoor installations, like the, the like have been open since the previous week, the Saturday, and I think the Star Trek Discovery one may have been. A lot of them shut down uh, after 5 o'clock, which is, I think, uh, a mistake because then people that are getting out of the main programming would like to explore this other stuff, and they can't. And so... You know, every year I say, I, I come away with my, as we say, my hiss and purr, you know, and I think these are the things that I appreciate that they're very reactive and responsive and trying to get things done and, and solve the problems that are raised each year. But I just think that because, of course, it's so popular and I've heard and there are a lot of people that are coming just to see what it's like. And then there's a difference between and I heard this grumbling a lot that people that have just been coming for 20, 25 years, they couldn't get in. I heard of a couple of different creators that are pretty big names in the industry that they had their pro badges, but they couldn't get a hotel room. Yeah. And so, you know, and and it did seem, and I heard from a lot of different places, people commenting that cosplay was down. And I think it's because it's such a, everybody wants to experience it at least once that because it's gone to a lottery system that the people that are reliable to do cosplay and to show up and, and you know do all that stuff, not as many of them were able to get in because there are people that were first timers that just wanted to see what all the fuss was about. Well, you know, and, the people people I know who have done the masquerade there will mm-hmm. put in they will submit their their masquerade 
program, whatever they're going to do mm-hmm. ahead of time. And then there's a pre-masquerade judging and those people will get badges. They, well, oh, that's not, done before? That's done be, before. Before Comic-Con ever starts? Yep. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, but I think there are people that would start as, because you got to start somewhere. But I think this is, you know, the maybe this is also the, ri- the rise of the local cons. That, as I said, there's, um, there's one up in Pleasanton this weekend, I think. Um, one of those Mighty Girl cons, I can't remember what, I, yeah. and Colossal Con maybe is, is what it's called up in Pleasanton. There's a little chain that's kind of going through Central California and, and the East Bay, and they did the Campbell Con too. And I think there's something for that because if you just want to go and see, like, you know, it, it, you want to try your, co- your hand at cosplaying, you want to meet a couple of creators, that's not what Comic Con is, right. but I think that it's going to feed, that it feeds in. My problem is too. I go. I think I said on the last last podcast. There's just so many, and in this specific, in in our specific area of the of the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, happening in August, and I'm seeing so many ads for you know. It's like two for one tickets and big discount. They're struggling yeah. because everybody wants to go to Comic Con. Um, I think maybe we could spread this out a little bit. <laughs> you know, oh, no doubt. maybe not no all doubt. summer long. Just be a con each weekend. They're expensive. But, I wouldn't be at all surprised, too, that the the drop in cosplay just has to do with, I mean, cosplay made a big swell in the media a couple of years back. I mean, we even mm-hmm. had shows on uh, on uh, premium cable, uh, several that had to do with building. And still, there's it's a face-off program is still on. Yeah, on um, sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, but so people started going to conventions, but they'd go with, like, stuff that they mostly bought, and then they'd they'd get try and get into any decent masquerade and find out that that wasn't going to get them in if unless they're doing sewing unless they're actually putting stuff yeah. together themselves they don't yeah. they don't get this they don't score the same points as anybody else does in in judging so i think there may have been i uh, i suspect that it'll go it'll ebb and flow for a little while i mean there's always going to be something nice about a new character coming out and and you being like one of the few people who spent the time to get that that costume done you know the the trailer drops on tuesday and you've got the costume on friday kind of stuff so seeing that happen i do love however just seeing people wearing even if it's a store-bought spider-man suit that i will never ever be able to fit into that loving Seeing people do that, I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's, I, the, again, you hear the old guard grumbling, but I'm like, this is what we always wanted. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. guess what happens? You got what you wanted, and there are downsides to it. Yeah. But I don't mind those downsides when I go, you know, people should be able to come. I don't mean to be like, oh, the looky boos, they're not real fans. I'm just saying there's got to be something that strikes a, a balance so that the people that really are, this is what we, I've been watching a lot of Queer Eye. And one of the things <laughs> they said, at, you know, this conversation I had to have this last week was that, that uh, they were helping a trans man, and when they went into his home, it was everything was rainbow, everything was it screamed the queer community, and uh-huh. the designer, the the home designer, Bobby B, said, you know, it's a pillar of who you are. And it's it's not everything, and I, you know, st- structure. Yeah, you know, I, I, 
I'm not saying one way or the other because I'm sitting here going, well, I'm wearing stuff, you know, and, and that was the weird conversation I had. It's like, to me, this, it, it is a pillar of who I am. And then there are people that, for, uh, not, you know, of being a nerd, for lack of a better word, of being a fan. Yeah. And so for me, this is, oh, so grateful to have five days of hanging out with people where if I were to throw a rock, and I would not, but if I were to throw a rock, I would find somebody, I would hit somebody that thinks a lot like me or likes something that I like, and we can have a conversation. And, you know, that it's not, it's not that often uh, in the rest of, the, of my year where I'm going to guarantee, that's what, one reason we have a podcast, where you know, we have this conversation once a week at least, and that I'm not going to be able to have that conversation at work. I'm not yeah. going to ha- be able to have that conversation in my neighborhood, you know, or going to Starbucks. But at Comic Con, oh yeah, going to yeah. have that kind of at WonderCon, at what at WorldCon coming up, and at uh, uh, SAC Anime in September. And there's a toy show. I'm sorry, in Santa Clara in uh, late August that I cannot remember the actual name they've given it, but it, but it's a new convention, and you know I, that is really cool to be able to share that and have you, you know yeah. Anyway, that's some, why we do some of these interviews. Let's turn to, I mean, yes, it was huge. And we'll probably be, there'll be aftermath of Comic-Con for weeks as we have more interviews going and plenty more stuff. But let's turn to what's in the bag. Rick, what is in your bag this week? It is Wednesday, but mine are all Comic-Con purchases. So, Well, the first thing in my bag, actually, I did not pick up at the comic store. It was delivered to me a couple days ago. And I'm so thrilled. I was actually going to get the ruler out and measure it. But this is this book is at least like two foot tall by a foot and four inches wide. It is the J- art of Jack Kirby, Gil Kane, the Prisoner, script by Jack Kirby and Steve Englehart, original art edition, which is something I have been wait. I ordered this over a year ago. <laughs> And I was occasionally talking to Titan on your behalf when you said, like, it was originally canceled. It's like, yeah, we had some rights issues. So I know this is something you have been waiting for for at least a year. And it's it's lovely. And it starts off with um, – it starts off – again, it's, it's oversized because this is the size that it was drawn at. This is the size of the paper that Jack Kirby would have had in front of him as he put the lines down on paper. And they shoot – you know, I, I don't know if they still shoot it down or if it's all done digitally. I, I know it's all done digitally, but if it's done at a different resolution, probably probably is. Um, when uh, when Kirby would do these larger prints, they'd be shot down probably at three quarters of what it is, and you get a little more. You can draw the detail easier, mm-hmm. and it gets it's it becomes more detailed going down. That was um, such a revelation to me as a kid. Yeah, because I was drawing on the right, you know, on the comic book size paper, going, "How did they get this?" And, oh, <laughs> well, I I had the the lucky chance of when I was in journalism class in high school, uh, the guy who was a year ahead of me was a cartoonist, and he taught me a lot about cartooning, and and the biggest thing he said was, "You're going to draw it big, and then you're going to say you want it shrunk down to the specific size." And you're going to screw it up a couple times because your 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 type will be too small on the page. Mm-hmm. When it gets shrunk down, it won't be readable. But you'll come to you'll come to appreciate how much better it makes your art look when you start off big and go small. Yeah. But anyway, so we've got we've got the Kirby uh, Kirby the Prisoner. The first uh, it's a 17 page story, and the um, 
it's inked by Mike Royer. Uh, we and it is it is the the type of Bristol board paper that they use with the blue lines and blue lines fall mm-hmm. out when they're reproduced, so all the blue goes away. Um, but it's all black and white because it wasn't. Co- there's one colored thing in here, and it's the the page two, page three splash page, which you've seen. It's the it's used on the cover of the book too of of number six walking through an empty village. And I, I ran it on Fanboy Planet a few months ago when they finally yeah. officially said yes, it's coming and. So. And then they basically it's it is basically a reproduction of the show uh because it's the it's the first episode of the prisoner uh with him getting gassed and showing up in the village and meeting number 2 and a uh, little bit of Kirby uh little Kirby license there certainly you got all the Kirby uh crazy gadgets and stuff um and uh, I think it said somewhere in here it says next episode the the chimes of Big Ben, which is a, an episode of the prisoner, mm-hmm. depending yeah. on the numbering that you you go by, because there's all kinds of controversy. But then there's uh, a issue one that is drawn by Gil Kane, and so you've got a lot of the same stuff, and he's doing Arrival. And it's it's interesting to look at at the difference in the way Kane's art just kind of falls through the page. Kirby's art is dynamic, kind of jumping out. They're both they're both favorite artists of mine from a long time. Uh, this is just it's a fabulous book. In the center, there is a uh, there are a bunch of um, short articles about the writing of the prisoner. There's reproductions of the scripts side by side with the with the uh, cartoon pages uh this is this is a worthy addition if you're a kirby fan if you're a prisoner fan if you're a gil kane fan uh hey if you're a steve englehart fan this is a book you want to pick up i am a steve englehart fan and uh, not steve englehart related but prisoner related uh titan did just announce this weekend that they got the rights to reprint the dc Yes, miniseries. So that. that that's going to be coming later this year as well. So they will pretty much have everything that has ever been done in comics with the prisoner, including in their, their brand new stuff that they're and their brand right new now. stuff, which has been really good. Yeah. So next on, uh, well, first on my bag, uh, this is a book that you're actually not going to get to be able to buy for a little while, but I'm mentioning it because I want people to be able to pre-order it. And because I think they're going to love it, which is Spencer and Locke 2. So they sold the first issue with uh, at Comic-Con with an exclusive variant. Because I, I, And I love this, that Action Lab Comics does this, the Danger Zone. Action Lab Danger Zone is the, uh, is the imprint. But they make sure that they have basically a full trade's worth done before they release the first issue into the store. Ah. So that nothing... There will be no delay. So that's why I don't think they're quite finished with all the issues. That's, of, that's pretty smart. Yeah. So, But for Comic-Con, they were, because this is a Spencer and Locke, the first series I, I was really a big fan of, and it's gotten some industry, uh, film industry uh, interest. And, uh, you know, it's basically Calvin and Hobbes meets Sin City. Uh, this second miniseries has some of the fallout from that, but it, it brings in... Uh, their version of Beetle Bailey, uh, Roach Riley, who is suffering from PTSD and believes that uh, that the evil 
the evils of the world are are a challenge to you to make you stronger. So it's up against uh, Locke, who is this traumatized ch- uh, now an adult uh, police officer who has an imaginary partner who is a seven foot pan- black panther. Uh, he's trying to find a way back to mental health and to say, I don't want to live a violent life. Whereas Roach Riley's experiences have treat have changed him to believe that everyone should be tested. And so I think that's going to be the main thing through this entire miniseries. But it is the, the first miniseries was great. This is just as well. And the, artist Jorge Santiago is able to do Mort Walker and his own style. And there's, there's all this Bill Watterson style comes in because of, of Calvin and Hobbes old, you know, fantasy figures. And again, it's just a book with uh, some amazing art and you know, it's not, don't put it in the hands of the kids just cause there's a stuffed animal, uh, that turns into a seven foot Panther. But uh, it, it's, uh, it's a really good, strangely respectful, while seeming on the surface insanely disrespectful, uh, look at, at the icons of comics, of, car, of, of newspaper comic strips. And David Popost, the writer, has promised that that's, that's it. This is the open world where everybody that was in comics exists in here. So it's going to expand further. And I did get an interview with David. We'll be talking, uh, we'll be running that a little later in uh, later podcast episodes. So, uh, Spencer and Locke two. Look for it. Go through your Diamond Previews catalog and tell your retailer that you want a copy of this book. What's next okay. in your bag, Rick? Next in my bag, I'm really excited about this because the first one was so awesome. But we've got X Men: The Grand Design, Second Genesis by Ed Piscor. Uh, and it's a $6 book, but I'm going to say if it's anything like the first run, it's worth every penny of it. It is a big book, a thick book uh, without any ads in it. Um, there's some interesting uh, typographical stuff that happens in the center. Um, but uh, this is, again, the history of the X-Men uh, told in um, a somewhat higher level of uh you know, it's almost like biblical, you know, when they tell tell the stories of, uh, in the Bible, they'll tell a the story that would have taken months and months, and it's like in three stanzas. Uh, a thousand uh, years from now, this is the book we'll be looking, looking yeah, at. Yeah, I think so, I think so. This will I be do re- want, read aloud in the Church of the X-Men. I do want to say, uh, I did actually answer, uh, there was a question about uh, all of the Uncanny X-Men, no, Giant Science X-Men number one. Uh, in the pro-fan trivia match, uh, when I had to sit down down and play with the fans, that I did answer a question correctly about that, and uh, we'll throw, I'm going to throw that out right now. Okay. But on the cover, uh, that uh, they, they made me do math, too, because the angel ends that story by saying, what are we going to do with blank right. men? Uh, you know, but they said, on the cover, there is one member of the X-Men who appears on the cover who is actually nowhere to be found in the book. Uh, boy, it's not Professor Xavier, is it? No, 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 no. Uh, it's the Beast, because he was in his own solo series. He had no, he, ah, you know, he was not with the team that was taken over by, that was possessed by Krakoa, the island that walks like. No, it's not the island. Yeah. Walks like a man. I can't remember what Krakoa is. Oh, you know, I'm looking at it now, and yeah, that's true. But the old X Men are kind of like 
in blue kind of behind the breakout because they're breaking out through a page. Right. But, so it's no, but like all the but all the, the old, old guard men are there. Yeah, it's the old guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, a, it's a valid book. question. They've been, they've been taken by, by Krakoa, except for the Beast, because he was right. busy having a solo series. Yeah. So it's just... It was Turning into funny. the Blue Beast. I must also say that uh, <clears throat> that Len Wein posthumously scored 40 points in the Pro Fan Trivia match. Very good. Very good, Len. <laughs> He'd be proud of himself. <laughs> he would be. Uh, so anyway, uh, next on my stack... Is uh, and I, I reviewed this on the site already. Guns Ablazing, the number six, finishing up Mike Wellman and Rafael Navarro's epic or first stanza of their epic time traveling cowboys, spacemen, Vikings, dinosaurs you name it, it's in this book. Anything they loved is here, and they're well dressed while doing it. So, uh, this is also, I know that other books have done this, but they had a fan who who had a rock band and actually created a soundtrack album for this. So I don't know if you can order it, if uh, there's something this way at the stores, but at Comic-Con they were where you bought the book and you got a CD as well. So there is a soundtrack album now, and I have one of the, uh, there's a music video somebody uh, posted on, on Fanboy Planet said, hey, be sure to check this out. So I ran that as a separate piece to, to find that. It's also a good summary to catch up. But this is a really fun, fun book. I've always, regardless of, yes, once upon a time, Rafael Navarro was kind enough to draw a story I wrote for Bela Lugosi's Tales from the Grave. But regardless, I loved his art anyway, because it's definitely in that kind of Bruce Tim, which, no, no surprise, he worked in animation at Warner Brothers. But uh, it, it's also a style all of his own, while still being reminiscent of those great, action animated series so i think this is a very fun book and also yes one of the best smelling books you can get so you know <laughs> well, it's been I around Raf- it's been around raphael <laughs> I, I i please he is the most dapper man in comics i know Taranko was but raphael really has you know every every night it's a new outfit at comic-con it's amazing so uh and i always say that weird thing to them of i sniff the book and go yes this is a good book. It smells like your favorite used bookstore. So, and people who love used bookstores know what we're talking about. What's next on your bag? The next in my bag, the last in my bag, is actually a continuation from of a theme from last week. I'm going to use it as my third uh, choice because it's actually three choices. It's uh, True Believers number one, True Believers number one, and True Believers number one, all featuring the Fantastic Four. And, uh, this week they've they've really kind of like you, you you there's a lot to mine in the Fantastic Four, but they did a really good job this this week. First off is you got True Believers, and we mentioned this last week, which was uh, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four from What If Number One. Um, so and that's a buck, a dollar for that one. And then they've got uh, I think it's like Fantastic Four three fifty four original the original. Uh, run numbering uh three seventy four right now because i realize uh in my memory that i did not find what if spider-man joined the fantastic four on the newsstands uh so that was originally 50 cents i think even back in 1980 i paid more than a buck for my copy of your copy (laughs) yeah and gladly because it was worth every read that i put that through but 
<laughs> so three three seventy four though is the Fantastic Four versus the Fantastic Four, bringing back the alternate Fantastic Four of Spider Man, the Hulk, which was the Hulk from the Pegasus, Pegasus Project era, where he's uh, actually dressing like Doc Savage and uh, yes, uh, the, uh, what do they call him now? They call him uh, retconned him as the Professor. Yeah, yes. and then uh, Ghost Rider and Wolverine fighting uh the fantastic four and you can tell from the cover it's the it's ramping up to the point where sue richards has her schism be and becomes malice malice yeah i think so because she's got a very uh a very victoria's secret style costume in, on the cover of this one yeah i didn't like that one um but uh and then the last one is i'm really having trouble placing this and i'm not sure there was a time where work was everything, and I don't know that I Fantastic Four fifty four. So it must have been a second, a second run numbering. Um, and this is the birth of Valeria, uh, which is kind of one of the controversial points in uh, in Fantastic mm-hmm. Four history. I'm not going to go into it. If you pick this up, uh, they 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 don't always talk about it, but there's. Uh, there's a little controversy there, and it was after Sue had lost one of the babies too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John, John Byrne, yeah, with Doc Ock, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you know, for those who are going to attend Meeple Fest with with Rick this weekend, this is why we, I don't play games with Rick. He cheats in the rules. Uh, <laughs> free comics, one. So I, I, that, that's my public service announcement for anybody who wants to game with Rick. Uh, so the last, I don't, <laughs> I don't cheat in board games. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the last in my stack is one that actually got attention from the LA times last week. And it is also not available in stores for another, I think three weeks, but this was a kind of a must have, the Beatles' Yellow Submarine, adaptation by, as we talked earlier in the podcast, about by Bill Morrison, formerly of Bongo Comics and now Mad Magazine. And he has recreated, we may be getting to talk to Bill a little later, uh, he has written, redone the artwork. It says he gives credit, it's adapted by, but it's clear he's also redrawn much of this. But it is... And maybe you remember, too. I have this vague idea that maybe Gold Key had done an adaptation of Yellow Submarine. Oh, I'm pretty sure it was in Scholastic. Back in 1969? I'm definitely sure it was in Scholastic, because I was not able to see the movie, but I had the book. You had a book. Okay. And my parents would buy me Scholastic books. So so was was it a novelization? I think it was mostly like screenshots and words on top of, written on on top of them. Yeah. Okay, so there was something before, but this is, you know, reimagining slight, uh, you know, arranging it so that it's reading like a comic book, but also a comic book that would read exactly as if it was taking place in the movie Yellow Submarine. So his panel design, his layouts are just really, really fascinating, and yet it is, it is reliving, you know, which is the the movie itself, the dialogue, and laid it out really, really well. Interestingly enough, doesn't include the. Coda that had the live action, you know, this is this is just the story of Yellow Submarine, which of course infamously they appear the Beatles appeared live action at the end because once they'd seen the film, they wanted to be part of it. Uh-huh. And they hadn't been in the actual production. They you know, other actors do their voices. 
<clears throat> it is their songs, but they were songs that had previously been recorded. And so, you know, they wanted to have a piece. So that part is not included here. It is just the story of Yellow Submarine. But again, a beautiful, beautiful book, hardcover, $30, a little oversized, and will be in stores by the end of August. And that's it, because Yellow Submarine is now on Amazon Prime and was released to theaters two weeks ago. So it's it's been a big, uh, I guess since 1968, we're talking, this is this the 50th anniversary of Yellow Submarine? Yep. Yep, so uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful book, and I hope you get your hands on it. So I'm, we're going to end on what's in the bag, because I think with the interviews and kind of winding down about Comic-Con, there's a lot there, as well as I, I did mention, you know, Rick is going away. So I want to give him a shot. I don't know if you're going to get to do it, but edit this and have this up before you leave for, for your next convention, which is a different kind of convention. And uh, so, <laughs> It's a no, board game convention. No, no, no. I say a different kind because we were talking about comics conventions. And right, right, right. Because you know, even the Santa Clara Toy Convention is going to be, there's going to be comics, you know. Meeple yeah. Fest, there will be people who read comics, but that's not the point of the convention. So anyway, uh, that is it. I thank you once again. If you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com or tweet at us. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and thank you so much for listening. I'm Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. But mine are all Comic Con purchases. So hey, hang on a second, because I actually left my pile in the other room. I'll delete this later. Hold on. <laughs> you knew this was coming. secretly replaced Rick's podcast with Folger's Crystals. They're not dilithium crystals. They're Folger's Crystals. That's right. That slurping sound that you've been hearing is Rick recording with instant coffee. Normally, I would sing to fill this gap. But this week, I decided not to. You're talking to me? <laughs> Hang on. I'm talking to the listeners. Ah, okay.